invite you now to join our conversation, an instrument of healing as we share how each of us can grow through times of illness, grief, and loss. Our wish is through these words you will discover a healing community that promotes insight, reignites hope, and nurtures peace. Welcome. This is Jeffrey Cloninger, producer of Conversations with Kelly. I'm joined by Kelly Grosslogs of Conversations with Kelly. Today we are here to talk about how the dying teach us how to live. And we are here in the studio. The lotus is lit. Or is the lotus lighted? I never know if it's lit or lighted. But regardless, These are the questions that come to you for. Well, maybe. <laughs> and as you see, I don't have the answer. <laughs> uh, but today we are talking about um, maybe what sounds like a little bit of a heavier topic, the dying teach us how to live. And I'm curious because this, uh, right off the bat, is a very much of a paradox, Kelly. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get a lot of looks when I come out and teach this. This is something I really love to teach to future providers or current medical providers on what we can learn from people who are at the end of their life. And I suppose all of us, too, who are not in the medical community and just in general. That's right. And so I, when I consider life at the end, I would consider that people have, sometimes they have less than a year to live. But if people are living with a terminal illness, and many people can live for years with a terminal illness, that in technicality also could be considered those who are dying. But I today I'm going to focus mostly on my experience that I've had, which is probably the last year of life with people, and it's. And you used to work in hospice. Correct. I worked in hospice. I worked on an inpatient hospice unit, and we oftentimes would have thirty to forty-five people at a time on our unit, who were. Many of them came to us and were what we call actively dying, so in the final day to an hour to the hours of dying. But I also got the privilege to work with people over a couple months and, and really get to know them. And I, I grew up from that job, and I learned the most from that job, more than I've ever learned in a classroom. And, and Not I, to discredit academia. <laughs> yeah, not to discredit academia because we wouldn't be here if it weren't for our, our learnings. But... When you're on the front lines and you're in the trenches with people who are really facing the end of their life, it becomes clear pretty quickly what matters most. And it's a good reminder to me of how much time we spend each day worrying, each day obsessing, each day criticizing ourselves, each day criticizing other people, going after things that aren't for our best interest, going after things that aren't for our highest good. So in the end, what I've noticed is the wisdom is so great and I have thanked countless of people who have shown me what true bravery is so some people think bravery is everybody defines it differently and I, I've seen so many variations of bravery but when you're actually at the end and you are able to ask questions that may have difficult answers like how much longer do I have to live? Or would you be the guardian of my children? Or can you make sure that after I die, you will take care of my mother? 
these are just certain things that people don't necessarily go around day to day thinking about, but when you're forced... certainly not talking about. Exactly. And that's, that's what I'm hoping some of these podcasts are going to do is, is spark more conversations. So when I've been at the bedside of someone who's dying or sitting and having a conversation with someone that's towards the end of their life, I walk away so much wiser. And people who are dying may not always have the ability to speak, but by watching them, you start to see what brings joy. And it can be much more simple than what we may consider joyful. An animal walking in the room and how their, their faces just light up and how they appreciate it. Looking outside, I was, I was working with a woman recently and there was a snowstorm and she was looking outside and most of us were complaining because we were so done with winter, it had been the end of winter and she was appreciating the snow for its beauty because she knew it would be the last time she'd see it. Hmm. And so she actually said that she wanted to go out and do a snow angel. And so her family, um, her daughters were able to arrange this and she went out and did a snow angel in the snow. And what a great picture for all of them to have for the rest of their life. So what did she teach me that day? She taught me about gratitude. She taught me about perspective. So I can choose to complain about this bad weather, but boy, did she teach me something that day. She taught me that when you're seeing something for the last time, it becomes so much more profound and so much more beautiful. And so for me, I think dying people have really taught me how to be more grateful, to keep perspective. And certainly as the world gets smaller for them and becomes more concentrated, I love the fact that they fill their days with truly what brings them the most joy. So they're not running and doing emails necessarily and caring about deadlines and worrying about if they eat this piece of pie, it's going to whatever, whatever. They're simply living in that moment because they've been forced to. And you, you use the word worrying. They're not worrying. Uh, that's a theme, I think, that we talk a lot about, yes. especially in this forum, uh, that that may be some wasted energy. Right. So we all are very good at worrying, and it's a very, it's a natural, we live in a very um, fear-driven, fear-based culture that if we don't do, we learn from a very young age, if you think about it, if you don't do this, you're not going to get that, and it's just very much setting us up for worry. You've heard me talk about this, Jeffrey, and Again, I, 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 loved the, I love the conversations I get to have at the end. And one of the things I ask often is, do you have regrets? Many of us would anticipate people would say things like, I've worked too much, I didn't save enough money, whatever. And I actually, I heard some of that. But the, one of the most common themes I would hear is, I'm sad I spent so much of my life worrying or obsessing mm. or doubting or whatever it may be, and then I will ask, tell me what you worry about. What, what were you worried about? Thinking, oh, we could go deeper and I could help them release it. And I'd often hear, I have no idea. And that was very telling to me that in the end, when it, in the end of our life, we can't even recall what we were worried about, even though in the moment we spent so much energy worrying. And a fun little statistic when I teach this is that 85% of what we worry about never comes true. 
So 85%, 85 never comes true. Never comes true. So when that 15% comes true, then we can deal with it. We can deal with it, but 85% of what we obsess about and worry about, to the extent we worry, doesn't come true. So I wonder how much time that adds up to in a life. You hear about how many hours or years we spend with our eyes shut after blinking. Mm -hmm. The same is true of worry. That's right. And so again, I, I think it's very natural for people to worry. Anytime you enter into a relationship that you love someone, there's a tendency to worry if they're not doing well. But it's the energy people said so they would love to live their life backwards because they would choose how they spent their energy differently. And so it's not that they're lamenting about it per se at the end. It's just they're sharing it. These are, these are lessons that are shared from the, the greatest teachers, people that are in this world and another world, between hmm. this world and another world. So I don't have per se a dying person in my life right now. Mm -hmm. Who can be my teacher? Who can I look to? Well, I, I think, I mean, obviously everybody in your life has something to teach you, right? Everybody, whether it's our boss, whether it's our neighbor, whether it's our friend, our partner. And so I think you, you gravitate towards like-minded people. Where I wanna share though today is the people that are truly having to face some of the more deeper, difficult situations in life, which is leaving the people they love, possibly facing pain, possibly facing suffering, whatever that may be, and going to an unknown, going to an unknown. So I think that is, for me again, it's taught me courage, it's taught me bravery, it's taught me how to forgive. Because what's really interesting is as people are at the end, it's not as if all the hurt they've experienced in their life is erased. It's not as if people forget about it, but they don't necessarily put the energy into it because they don't have it. So people are not holding those grudges. They're not necessarily, you know, worried about it. In fact, that's one of the greatest things in the end is forgiveness and, and, and surrender and letting things go. So I've learned a lot about that. It's like, is this really worth my energy to continue to harbor this and continue to spend my energy being angry at somebody? You know, as I love, there's so much in Buddhism that for me has been very profound in life. And one of the things is Buddha says being angry at someone is like holding a hot coal and never throwing it at them. Mm. So in other words, the anger just burns you, but the person's never affected by it. So right. I think, you know, and again, I, I always want to say that I know as I'm speaking, it, I'm, I'm making it sound very easy. And I have, I have a great understanding that these things take practice. But if I'm seeing these common things over and over again for 25 years, there must be something to it. And right. it's, it's worth sharing. So I'm intrigued if the dying simply don't have the energy to invest in worry. We do have the energy to invest in worry. What are the techniques we can use? Since we really don't have that, cho that choice, you know, we, we have all this thought and energy to put into, you know, spending time on, on stuff that's not productive. But what would you recommend? 
Well, I think one of the interesting things is I, I, I probably should have been more clear. It's not as if people who are dying don't have any worry. But I think what they do with their worry is they, they can transmute it or they can transform it differently maybe than we do. For instance, if they're worried about their child after they die, that's a very common theme I see with a parent, is that they talk about it and then we do something about it. We try to do something to mitigate that worry. We get things in place, we do whatever. And generally then there, there comes a point they have to surrender that then because they don't have the energy to upset, well, what if this and what if that and what if this and what if that? It's really about, it's about trusting. And it's about surrendering. And I think what we can do in our days is gain, garner a little more of that trust, you know, and and faith and surrender. And don't hold it inside, the worry. Talk to somebody about it. People who, you know, my greatest privilege is hearing some of people's deepest, darkest concerns. And by expressing that to me, They've shared that now. So we've, you know, we've, as I said at my recent conversations with Kelly in Minneapolis, is that grief shared is grief halved. Hmm. Joy shared is joy doubled. So it's the same about worry. When we, when we share a worry with someone, it cuts it in half. Okay? And I think that, that that's a technique we can practice is to give voice to what we worry about. So again, it's, I, you know, I don't want people listening today to think, oh, the dying don't have any worry. But I think it's, it's how they allow it. It's, it's how they choose it to be. And, and you're kind of forced to let it go and surrender it because you don't have the energy to focus on it. And it's the things about, okay, if you only have four days living to live, how do you want it to look? Well, you want all the people you love on your bed. You want the animals you love on your bed. You want to have a couple more laughs. You you want to I love you want to say I love you. I have a question because this brings up the idea of the bucket list. Mm-hmm. You hear that a lot when someone faces a terminal diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I know there's probably a lot of different perspectives on that. Oh, I'm going to race out, I'm going to do everything right. because I don't have an infinite amount of time. Mm-hmm. What's interesting in my work is um I don't see I don't see people necessarily choosing those big trips that we think about that we hear about. I see people choosing the activities in their lives that focus in and are central to the people they love. So somebody sounds- having a baby, somebody graduating, somebody getting married. It it kind of comes down to that's that's what they that's what they want to fill their bucket. So this with. is the main theme that people sort of gravitate to. It's not necessarily uh, an experience as much as it is a relational event. That's right. So I, I work with somebody who always always has dreamed of going to China. And that's not even realistic now given his his ability and his strength. So he has decided though he wanted to go see the fall colors change up north um, in Minnesota. Well, that's quite a polar opposite of going to China. But that was his goal, and he wanted to experience it with the people he loved. 
So that was going to be the thing. It was no matter what condition he was going to get, he was in. We were going to get him in the car. He was going to be able to go. And for him, that overflowed his bucket because he got to experience that. And again, remember, when we look at things in nature, view it as you're viewing it for the last time. And it becomes profoundly beautiful. It, it's really, that's one of the things I have learned is that things that I've taken for granted, a rainbow, a cool cloud, uh, a sunset, a sunrise, uh, just a sweet little bird sitting on, on a patio, how people notice the detail and really take it in is, is something that the dying have taught me. And yet we don't want to go too far where we're walking around with this morbid sense of, oh, this is the last time I'm ever going to see a sunset. Right. Especially if, you know, there's no reason to, at least that we know of. That's right. That's right. So no, it's not walking around saying, and I'm glad you clarified that. I probably didn't state that as well. I think what it is, is looking at it and having more gratitude for it than you've ever had prior to it. So truly looking at the budding happening right now in the trees in spring and how amazing nature really is. That they're budding amidst this snowstorm. Right. And again, the woman <laughs> who appreciates the snow, boy, she taught me a lot. And I'm so grateful to her. And I, and I think, so I really, you know, if I, could, if I could say the five things that people who are at the end of their life have taught me most, it's how to love how to appreciate, how to have perspective. I also think I've learned about how to use my energy better and then to, um, to take risks, to be brave, to, it, to be detached from, well, I have to do this right and what if it doesn't work out? It doesn't matter. It's because I can and I should be grateful that I can take this opportunity you know, I can try this food. I can go to this this trip. I can do whatever. Don't get caught up in the what if it doesn't work out. What I see with the dying too, as you talk about this, is it's the the destination is known at that point. Mm -hmm. So the journey becomes even more important. That's right. It's it's really about how you get there and how you choose to get That's right. there. Right. Whatever there is to you, whatever happens at the time of death, before that, then you get to choose how you live. And, you know, it's so interesting because for years, one of my jobs was to um, go into ICU units and with a team of interdisciplinary team and talk to people about and talk to families about making the decision to either withdraw life-sustaining measures or transfer transfer their care into the beautiful hands of hospice. However, when, when people have had situations and they weren't planning for it and they're in, whether it's a cardiac arrest, a stroke, whatever it may be, car accident, they were not planning. They didn't have the time to plan for this. And so in, from a medical standpoint, we're really seeing that this person does not have a very good chance of surviving this situation. One of the things I will always say to people, and I think this is important to remember too, is that I would say to families as gently as I could is, for instance, you know, your mother is going to die. That we, we feel pretty confident about based on X, Y, and Z, the lab tests. How she's going to die 
is what we are meeting about today. And this is where we get to make a difference. And I think that for us, as, as you say, the destination is known for all of us, really. Right. Um, a question of when. Right. And, but it's how we get to that that matters most. And so it wasn't about if she was going to die. It's about how she's going to die. And I think that's where, you know, when people feel so out of control as caregivers, there's nothing I can do. I've, I've, I can't change this outcome. I can't whatever. Oh, there's so much more you can do. How people die is one of the last acts of love that we bring to those people that matter most. Sounds like another podcast episode in the making right there. Very likely. Very good. Well, Kelly, as always, thank you for your perspective. I really appreciate this opportunity. I know it can be it can be heavy, but I, I once again want to thank the countless people I've worked with over the years who have been my my greatest teachers because um, you know when you are seeing people at the end doing things that you never thought you could do and you're seeing people that have probably the most limited energy doing the strongest things another paradox another paradox it's incredibly profound so thank you to all of you in the spirit world and all of you listening today that have been my greatest teachers thank you Thank you for listening to this CWK podcast. It's our hope that these words bring comfort, healing, and insight to your life, wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing. Please subscribe and share this episode. You can also follow and like Conversations with Kelly on Facebook. One quick note. We've done our best to share some ideas, tips, and techniques to help guide you. This podcast's content is not intended to be a substitute for or constitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to seek professional medical advice if needed. Thank you.